One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by John Cross of the Daily Mirror and Dominic Fifield of The Guardian. It's the first of many for Pep and Manchester City. None will be as easy as that win at Wembley. Arsenal are a shell of a team. No fight, no drive, no leadership, no excuse. As Guardiola's era begins, is this finally the end of the Wenger era? What do you think, John? I'm not sure that it is, but I think it should be. Um, that, that's obviously very clear. I do think that yesterday probably highlighted all, all the deficiencies and flaws with the current Arsene Wenger regime. Um, and as, as wonderful as he's been for Arsenal Football Club and indeed English football, I do think all good things come to an end. And, and to, I just felt that that final, which I have to say was one of the most one-sided cup finals at Wembley I can ever remember, particularly between two top clubs, if you like, two leading clubs. We've seen kind of big thrashings in the past, but but that's maybe between sort of lopsided finals. This was an embarrassment, I think, for Arsenal. And the fans are rightly upset and, and very angry. I think you can forget and forgive, I think, sometimes being sort of second best to a really good quality team, as Manchester City surely are. I don't think they were great in the first half. And I felt that they were, I wouldn't say they were there for the taking, but they gave Arsenal enough encouragement. But the, the way they came out after Pep Guardiola obviously had got hold of them at, at half-time, swept Arsenal aside and from back to front, you'd have to say Arsenal absolutely shambles at times in defence. Midfield, at least Jack Wilshere showed some heart, but, but Xhaka really is just not good enough and I've yet to see in nearly two years why he continually keeps his place. And even Aubameyang, I mean, big, big signing, but you couldn't tell yesterday. He, he looked isolated and lost. I have to say, Arsenal are in serious danger of each year slipping further and further behind. Unless they make a change this summer, I think if they give Wenger the final year of his contract, they'll have slipped even further behind. It's getting to a really worrying state of affairs. It's time to go. As, as John says there, Dom, the nature of that performance tells you that there needs to be change. If there is change, who comes in to replace Wenger? It depends how much ambition the board have. I mean, it all boils down to the board, I think. Bottom line is, do they have the uh, courage to, to get rid of the, the manager they've currently got, with, despite the fact that he's under contract for a further year? I, I, they haven't given any evidence at all that they could make a brave decision like that in the past. Maybe maybe all the manoeuvring behind the scenes with Gazidis and in terms of sporting directors and changing the structure is geared towards that now, but it's still a big call for him to you know, basically fire the man who's been there for, for so long in the summer. Um, you'd like to think they would have a succession plan in place. 
I'm not sure they have. Possibly, possibly they've, they've made. They should have made inquiries. They should know who will be available come the summer. There will be some decent candidates out there. You look at Conte will be potentially available in the summer. Unai Emery will be available in the summer. Uh, do they do they have to go for somebody that is out of contract, or do they do they go and prize someone away from a club? Um, we were talking before, and and, and John mentioned you know Yardim at, at Monaco. Um, Thomas Tuchel's always around the scene. I know you don't think that there's any chance of that happening, but you know he would be potentially selling himself to that board. But it doesn't really matter. Ultimately, they have to make a brave decision. They have to get rid of Arsene Wenger and. You know what? I will be I will be surprised if they do because they have they have not any evidence at all in recent years that they're willing to make a brave decision. If if they do skip a generation, you know Thierry Henry is punting himself for the job quite a bit. Mikel Arteta is serving his apprenticeship under Pep at, at, at City. Um, what's your view of the runners and riders? Well, I do think Jardin would, would be uh, would be a good choice. I mean, if you look at it. You know, he's done very, very well at Monaco, played some outstanding football as well, attractive works, football. Works with young players. Works with young players, brings them through. He's also at a club where they're battling against the wealth of others. Mm. And that that's a state of life for Arsenal. They've got to accept that. I mean, whether the fans like it or not, I think they moved to the stadium thinking this would be a, a new dawn. Ivan Gazidis trumpeted it as basically the, the chance that they would have to compete with the likes of Bayern Munich on the big stage. Financially, it's the, the the game has evolved and changed beyond all recognition. And I don't know whether you could really predict that. And it's all about the TV money now, much more than the kind of the size of your stadium. And and that sort of emphasis and priority has changed. But I still think in, in, in there is a fantastic football club which would appeal to the very best managers, even if for one or two years they're not in the Champions League. I personally think that, that sort of, Thierry Henry would love that job because he bleeds Arsenal, you know, red and white, obviously. I still think he's he's just starting his managerial career. And I think, honestly, the same as well for Mikel Arteta. I think Mikel Arteta, it broke sort of a few Arsenal hearts, I know, internally when he went to Man City because they really wanted him to stay and they left it too late, typical Arsenal, because, you know, he was a figure that sort of maybe posed as a long-term threat to Arsene Wenger, so you're not welcome there. Isn't that just typical of the way the club is run? I think they will go young. I think they will go head coach direction. And again, Jardin would, would, would fit into that. I mean, again, you would think because of the very much changing emphasis within the club, and sort of the, the German influence of Sven Mislintat, for, for example, who's obviously done brilliantly re recruiting um, in the January window, you would think that they would also consider German options. I know that Joachim Lowe is sort of a name that's sort of banded around, but he's under contract until 2020. I just feel that there will be options, big name options for Arsenal to look at, even if they can't get their first choice. I think that there's just that need for change. In many ways, it's just gone a bit stale. People talk about the squad and Arsenal having such a good squad. I don't agree with that. I think the squad's somewhat in decline. But conversely, I don't think they're that far away. If you bought a really good centre-half, if you bought a holding midfield player, and I guess you know you looked either this year or the following year as a long-term successor for Czech, who I still think is a good goalkeeper, then you've got the basis of a really good team. You, you've signed up Ozil, who can be world-class on his day for another three when years. When he can be bothered. When he can be bothered to turn up. I know that's a big criticism. He was hopeless yesterday at Wembley. So, But he's, there's a world-class player in there. There really is. There's the ingredients there, 
but they've got to make that change. Otherwise, the ingredients will soon slip away. Mm. Is the nature of the game changing, Dom? You know, you made the point that Arsenal are almost paupers at the rich man's table these days. You know, you've seen Chelsea evolve under Roman Abramovich. That was the first injection of huge money. Now Manchester City represent, you know, an entire emirate. Is the game changing now? And are the number of teams who can actually win things being gradually reduced? Yeah, yeah of course they are. Um, and, and I think it's more City than anything else. It's, it's, it's the resources that are available to Manchester City that dwarf everybody else's. I mean, even when Abramovich is reining it in, um, they, they, they spent big on Alvaro Morata last season, but they, they couldn't compete with United on Romelu Lukaku in the end. Um, they're, they're having to restructure, as you say, and they've got a stadium to fund as well, you know, potentially a redevelopment there. Um, I, I mean, this is all going to back, relate back to Arsenal. I think there's an arrogance at Arsenal that, that they are, they, they consider themselves to be the biggest club in London. Um, in terms of gate at the moment, they are, I guess. But they haven't justified that tag for the last 10 years, the occasional FA Cup aside. Um, they can go and offer massive money to, and far bigger money to Mesut Ozil than anybody that's earning at Chelsea at the moment. I mean, that may change when Eden Hazard signs, if Eden Hazard signs a new deal. But they go out and spend 50 odd million pounds on a, on a couple of strikers. There's no pattern. There's no. There's no logic to their recruitment. There's. There's almost like. I mean, actually, I think what you said just sums it up. On the one hand, you're saying the squad's imbalanced and not good enough. But the other hand, you're saying they've actually got some really good players and they need to add one or two, three positions mm. to make a really good team. I think they're way off. I think they're absolutely yeah. way off. But I think. I think everybody is really compared yeah. to Manchester City because mm. I think if they continue to evolve in the way they're going, I don't think anyone's going to be able to no, compete no. with them. So then we're looking at. Where, where does that leave the rest? Where does that leave even Liverpool? Liverpool, who are, are, have made great strides this season, you know, they're about to, they'll, they'll get back to back Champions League qualifications for the first time in God knows when. But are they actually realistically going to challenge for a title in the, really, in the foreseeable future? Probably not if City continue their own development. Yeah. It strikes me that Lacazette has been such a mistake. And I think £52 million for Arsenal is a massive outlay. There's no way in the world that basically, if, uh, maybe a year ago, that Arsene Wenger would have signed Aubameyang, mm. um, having already signed Lacazette, because in his words, they're exactly the same player, and one would one would block the other's progress. Mm. But now he's basically, in my mind, what he's done there is he's let someone else take the rap for that. Yeah. He's let someone else put their neck on the line and taking responsibility for Aubameyang, who has got a bit of a checkered sort of kind mm. of uh, reputation off the pitch. He's uh, uh, on the older side, so he's 29 in the summer. Mm. Um, you got the impression that Dortmund weren't that sorry to see well, the back of it. They manoeuvred it so that they would let him go and he kicked off and tried to move and that's not a great sign. But the fact is that I think in the past, Wenger would have said no, because I'm going to put my faith in Lacazette. But basically now he's moved and fall, fallen into line and said, OK, I'll, I'll take the player. Because if the player's been offered to him, of course he's going to take it. And by the way, I do think he would have had a say on Aubameyang. I'm certainly not saying otherwise. But it's not his ultimate responsibility. And that is the thing that I think that might be saving grace, is to, to, to give him the leverage to carry on for the extra year. Because if he falls into line and says, I'll be coached and I'll coach those players, you recruit them, 
then I think that's a different kettle of fish. He will not go of his own fruition. That, that's the key for me, because mm. there's nothing else in his life. Mm. Arsenal is his world. And basically, it's a huge contract as well, eight million a year. And you know, he will not want to say goodbye. He'll also, by the way, believe that if they give him the final year, he'll go and win the title and then they'll give him another contract. That's how his mind works. That's a real parallel universe, isn't so it? So it goes down to, it gets down to the, the bravery of the board, doesn't it? The, Absolutely. The board not. have to say, we have to change. But in fairness, they did want to change it last summer. But it, ultimately, it's Stan Kroenke, who's the owner of the club, who... Okay, well, I'm, I'm keeping, I'm putting Cronky in that, in that, the, the, the yeah. hierarchy has the, to... The dynamic of the club, yeah. I think, the, 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 there was a big move for change mm. and ultimately he's got the backbone to, to stand Cronky. If You're absolutely right, they didn't ultimately have the... Have the, have the have well, we both want to say balls, it. don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. If we, if we do assume, uh, um, I assume that Arsenal won't live up to Wenger's supposed expectation because that, that just doesn't seem possible. If we assume that City are dominant, and will continue to be dominant. One, will they win the treble this year? And two, how long will that keep Pep's interest? Well, that's a good question because his, his projects do, they are finite. Um, and, you know, there may be a, a point where he, he burns himself out and he, just, he says, OK, I need, I need another break. Um, but I do think that he's got everything going for him at City to, to sustain his interest for quite a long time yet. Um, he won't consider this season, even if they do win the treble, I don't think he'll consider his, his project to have been finished. He'll, he'll want to kick on and, and develop even further. And, you know, there is such a... The, the progress he's made over the last year is so clear and so staggering and impressive. Um, it, it will just have his juices flowing going into next season as well. I mean, that, that, just the way he's, his attitude to the whole thing is... We are evolving. We are we are progressing. We are bringing younger players through. It was it was fitting that those three players scored those goals yesterday because you could say that that era is ending at Manchester City. Um, they, they'll have a Premier League title to well, celebrate as well. Company silver, yeah. even and, Sergio and Aguero. Aguero. Yeah. I mean, because the next wave of players that, that Pep Guardiola is bringing through will be even more dominant and possibly even more impressive to to watch. Um, and, and that is that is frightening for the for the other elite clubs. Um, I mean, it's terrifying for Manchester United. It's 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 so must be so frustrating for for Liverpool because as you, as I say, in any other season we'd be lauding the progress that they're they're making and some of the football they're playing as well. But the reality is they're, they're competing in a in a division where there, there is one dominant dominant team. Tottenham Hotspur. Tottenham Hotspur are unbeaten in fifteen games. They've lost mm. once in. 19, 20 matches or something stupid. They still got battered at Manchester City 4-1 or 4-0. Was it 4-1? I mean, it's just, it's just frightening, mm. the, the, the level between City and the rest. On their, on their day, I mean, Liverpool show what you can do when you play them on, on their day, but in terms of sheer consistency over a season, and even when they're not playing well, they're still mm. hammering teams. Mm. That's, a, that's a really interesting point that Dom's made about the sort of, almost like the changing of the eras. Mm. You look at someone like, Leroy Sane, the level that he can reach is frightening, isn't it? Ab absolutely. I mean, I don't think the, the, the cup final did him justice because he's just back from injury. Mm. But even then, still there, there were still player. glimpses. Yeah. yeah, there were still wonderful glimpses. He's such a good player. 
He, he's powerful, he's pacey, he's, you know, he, he gives a natural balance, by the way, which so many clubs have found difficult to, to get, particularly in, the, in, the, in that system if you choose to play it. And, and City are so adaptable, they can play many different ways, I think, even within a sort of a structure. But if you want to go that kind of you know, three-pronged attack. He gives them natural balance either side of the striker. He's such a good player, he's powerful, terrorises full-backs. I, I think the other great thing about City is, and I totally agree with that, it is frightening and daunting about City, is that but what generally happens, and I remember this happens with, happened with um, Jose Mourinho, is that uh, in his first incarnation at Chelsea was, we thought that Chelsea would dominate for years and years, and yes, they won back-to-back -back titles, but actually the reality was, that what it does is it, it frightens the others to death and they somehow find this way to try and elevate themselves and it raises the overall standard. And I tell you what, after recent failings in, in, in the Champions League, isn't it interesting this season we're suddenly seeing a renaissance? Why is that? I think it's because other clubs found the, finally found the answer and must respond to Manchester City raising the bar. And I think suddenly we're seeing a, a new Premier League record of having five in the knockout stages. I think that Man City's dominance now can only be a great thing for, for the Premier League because it makes it much better, much more competitive. And Pep Guardiola's team, meanwhile, are an absolute joy to watch. They're brilliant. They're absolutely outstanding. You know, we've had the best teams of certain generations. Fergie's teams were, were absolutely amazing, winning with style. Mourinho, you know, the Invincibles. And now we've got Pep Guardiola. And this is a new raising of the bar. It's a new level for the Premier League. It's a joy to watch. So if City are now the untouchables, what about the managers themselves? You made a really interesting point about burnout, Don. With the fact that Pep took that year's sabbatical in New York. Is that was that significant? And if so, do you think other managers, because it's such a pressurised game now, do you think others will do that to get give their brains a rest? Maybe at the top top level, yeah, I, I, I can I can see that happening. I mean, he he set the bar, but then then again, he had a he he was fairly comfortable winning the league every year in, at Bayern Munich as well before arriving at City. It's not as if he was tested domestically in Germany particularly. Uh, like he may not have fulfilled his ambitions in the Champions League with with Bayern Munich, but but it was all geared towards City. And look, he, I think that was more a reflection of the, of of the pressure that he felt at Barcelona. And you know, the last few days have shown how personal. That pressure is for him, given his his you know the political stance he's mm. taken over uh, Catalonia. Um, so it obviously meant a lot to him, and I can see, I can see why there would be burnout on that front. I mean, it was that is his life, um, and everything he stands for was you know based around Barcelona. Um, when he leaves City, will he need a break? Well, the only thing that he'd have to consider when he leaves City is where do you go next? Is it, there's not going to be a managing Qatar in the 2022 World Cup. Well, that'd be interesting on the political side, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's possibly we'll see with other managers. Lower down, there's such a massive um, well, no, chopping and changing of, of managers anyway. I think when a job comes along, most managers leap at the chance to get back in. Mm. So it may be lower down the ladder. It's not quite so necessary to have these sabbaticals. Yeah. I don't think we should leave City without mentioning Vinnie Company. Mm. Great stat. 41 injuries, separate injuries, that he's had to 
endure. It was actually one of those quite heartwarming moments when he got that goal, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Look at that uh, in the round. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not for the Arsenal. <laughs> Completely neutral. Yeah. What, what about uh, him going forward? He looks to have... He's got a natural authority about him. Yeah. Do you see him as a manager or do you see him as a chief exec? What, he's he's going to do something in the definitely game. Definitely got to have a role in the game. You, when you when you speak to people and sort of interview people or come across people, there's the ones you immediately pick out, don't you, and think mm, he's going to be a good good coach and he's he's going to be a good manager. And, and Vincent Company certainly fits into that. Isn't it amazing, by the way, also that sort of Man City have got a few like that. I mean, Arteta is another one in the behind the scenes. I thought oh, immediately he's going to be he's going to be a good manager. And, and Guardiola is so he's so clever in that basically he surrounds himself with, with, with good people and company, I, I guess, despite obviously, seems to me there's been some ups and downs in that relationship, probably born out of frustration because he's such a good player and that he wants on on the pitch. The other amazing stat is that he's missed 130 games through, through injury during this time. I mean, it's just astonishing. But you could see that his, his leadership, and by the way, it wasn't just about the goal, in the first half, he matched and then 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 outmuscled Aubameyang stride for stride. Absolutely astonishing. I mean, that is serious, you know, serious mm. pace, and he, he he's he's kept up with him. But the way he speaks is so eloquent. For me personally, I think he will go on to become a manager, and I do think that maybe, you know, who knows? He, he's sort of got the brains to be sort of a chief executive further down the line or a technical director. I do think that he's got a massive future in the game and surely he's got a future at Man City, particularly in the, in the dressing room. Sometimes it's good to keep hold of these hold of these guys just for a, a direction. And it was nice that Guardiola paid tribute to some of the stars of the past and also the three goal scorers yesterday because they represent City. Yeah, yeah so There's a contrast there, isn't there? I mean, we're going back to the Arsenal thing, but back in the Invincibles team, you had you had people like company mm. in there. You had Vieri, you even had Gilberto, who, who had... Mm. Who had roles to go in in the game and and, and were eloquent, were strong, mm. yeah, yeah, were leaders. Yeah. None in the Arsenal team. Yeah. Can we look at, at across Manchester? Um, I get the sense that Jose Mourinho needed that win against Chelsea. Um, you know, you've spent a lot of time with him over the years. Where do you think he is in this United project? Playing catch up to Manchester City, um, having to having to not not reinvent but certainly reinvigorate a club that was meandering when he arrived um possibly he thought it might be easier than it actually turned out i think i think he as a manager is having to live up to what he built himself as the man that can stop pep guardiola and he and he hasn't stopped him um and that that will weigh heavy on jose Mourinho until he finds a way to do that um it took him a while at Real Madrid to do that. It's taking a while at Manchester United, but the thing about United, compared to all the other teams in that elite, possibly with the exception of Liverpool, no, not including Liverpool, they can just go out and spend in the summer. They can just go out and spend, and people will want to go to Manchester United because it's Manchester United still. Um, so their outlay will be massive again, and then we'll see how close they are to City next year. I still think they're they're well short as it is, but you can never tell quite how much investment is going to be going into that club. What about modern management? You know, that sort of spat in inverted commas between Mourinho and Paul Pogba. You know, let's be honest, we play that up for all it's worth in the media. Um, if you look at 
a manager has to manage. But is it as simple as that? In a modern age where you know, Manchester United is a marketing exercise, not just a football club, do you think they'll get rid of Pogba? Or do you think Mourinho will have to play second fiddle? Oh, I think Mourinho realistically has got to find a way to manage this situation so that basically they cannot afford to let Paul Pogba go. In such a massive outlay, A, and then B, he's such a good player. I think. And yes, he's not been fantastic for a couple of months. I mean, I think he's, Mourinho was right to point out that basically he has not been the same player since he was sent off at Arsenal. But up until that point, he was exceptional. And if, if United had had Paul Pogba available for the following week, the Manchester derby, which they lost, and then frankly for me, that, that was the day that Man City won the title and United lost it, well, it, it, we might be having a different conversation. Pogba is that important and influential to, to Manchester United. And yes, they've clearly had a fallout. And yes, Mourinho has been putting him down and bigging up Scott McTominay. I mean, to ridiculous levels, I mean, in, in my view. I mean, McTominay looks a, looks a very fine prospect, but Paul Pogba... Does, does the simple things does well. Does the simple things well. And Paul Pogba came on a, a, against Seville and, and, in my mind, was the most skillful player on the pitch and did the most outrageous things. Is that a bad thing? No, because it entertains me. And it basically tried to make Man United progressive and move forward, and that's really good. And I think he was in contrast to, to McTominay. Well, I have to say... You know, it, it, it slightly reminds me of Tom Cleverley at this moment in time in the way that he moves the ball sideways and doesn't ever give the ball away. And I'm not, not knocking Tom Cleverley at all by, by saying that, but McTominay basically, he's got a lot to kind of strive to. And, and Mourinho must know in his heart of hearts, and it strikes me that he's playing a lot of this game through the media to try and get a better performance out of, out of Paul Pogba. And then Paul Pogba has rebelled against it and doesn't like it. And so I, there's clearly an issue there. There's clearly been, you know, some sort of disagreement. And, and Mourinho's been very public, I think, in that. It would be a failure of management if yes. Paul Pogba left Manchester United. But it would also be a failure of, of, of Manchester United. It would be a sad indictment of Manchester United's strength of the club if they allowed Mino Raiola to dictate what happens with Paul Pogba as well. Like, mm. Surely they've got to find a way of making that work. And I'm sure they, they will. I think they'll see sense. Mm. But as you say, they, they're going to throw money around in the summer. But let's look at what they've got. Jesse Lingard, 13 goals. You know, let's be honest, he surprised a lot of people. You could make a, point, make a case for him being one of their best players this season, couldn't you? Absolutely, you could, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, he has, he's done very, very well in the opportunities he's been given. Um, and he's scored goals. I think he's playing in a role that possibly Pogba might like to play in, slightly more advanced, progressive. Um, but look, he's done everything asked of him. Uh, absolutely right. And they've got quality there. They've got, they've got quality up and down the team. They're Martial, they've got to find a way of getting Martial back in the team. They've got to find a way of getting Rashford in the team. Mm. Um, they've Not got started a lot of this options. year, has he? Well, there you go. I mean, it's, we, we saw him down at Yeovil. It was Yeovil, but he was, he was the best player on the pitch mm. by miles in that game on a, on a dodgy pitch, um, on a potential banana skin occasion. But he was different class. Um, it's... But but they can still target areas. I think where they can get better. I mean, they can they can they can replace Herrera. They can replace Carrick. They can replace. They can bring another centre half in. They can you know are we are they properly convinced by Luke Shaw at left back? Are they have they got a long term successor for Valencia at right back? I mean, there there are areas 
where they're well stocked and others where they can still improve and improving those areas will get them closer to Manchester City depending on what City do in the summer as well. Mm -hmm. um, City, once they've got the little chore of Arsenal out of the way midweek, they've got Chelsea on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, is this the week that they effectively say that Arsenal and Chelsea are outside the top four in this country? Oh, it could be. It really could be. Listen, we have to accept that Arsenal are already outside there. Mm. But I think for Chelsea, that, that... And to me, that is a massive worry for Antonio Conte because, yes, he's still in the Champions League, but for how much longer? You'd have to accept that they're underdogs. Yet, yes, they're still in the FA Cup and, you know, they might have some, some joy in that. But the trigger in the past for Roman Abramovich and the, and the Chelsea hierarchy has always been, as soon as they're in danger of missing out on the top four, then the manager goes. And they're not afraid to pull the trigger, whether that's in March or April, whenever it might be. And I think that is, that is the warning sign for, for Conte. The way that Chelsea have regressed this season, and they have, I know others have improved, but the way that Chelsea have fallen behind the, behind the standards that he set in winning the title last season has been quite alarming. I still think that they, they're on their day they can produce good tactical performances, but they don't have the depth and the quality, I don't think, to, to sort of compete for the title. You still can't write them off for, for finishing top four, but as soon as I think they fall, say, six points out, I think Abramovich will be, you know, kind of hovering over the panic button and, and you know, your, your fire could, could actually be, could happen, I think, before the end of the season still. I think Conte's still in danger. Do you agree with that, Don? We can never say never with Chelsea. Um, I think instinctively you think he, he would get to the end of the season, particularly if they've got a trophy to pursue in the, in the FA Cup. Um, I'm on the assumption, as John mentions, that they go out to Barcelona in the Champions League. Um, but they could be five points behind... They probably will be five points behind Spurs when they kick off at, at uh, the Etihad on Sunday. Um, and that's... That's worrying. They've got they've got Tottenham coming up at Stamford Bridge, and there's a lot of there's a lot riding on that match. A lot of history in that game, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But you know what? Having, I, I still think that Spurs are the are the are the form. I, I would actually fancy Spurs to to overtake Manchester United the way they're going at the mm, moment. I agree. I got um, I made a mistake um, quite recently with, um, of, of assuming that Tottenham unravel at the end of the season, and um, I was. I hadn't thought it through, but I was, it, was, it was based purely on what happened in the Leicester City season uh, and the way that they fell away right at the end of that. But actually, last year, I think they won 12 of their last 13 games. The only one they lost was the, the West Ham match, uh, which cost them the title. But they have, a, they have this capacity to, to have a late surge, and they're showing it now. 15 unbeaten, as I said. They, I was at the, the get their game yesterday against Palace, and they... they I, I, Palace couldn't get the ball out of their half. They just didn't have... I know they were weakened, but they just didn't have a chance of, of getting the ball away. And Spurs are relentless. And they've got... And it would take an injury to a Kane... To, well, actually, it would just take an injury to Harry Kane and, and then it might be in doubt. But at the moment, they just look properly relentless. Mm. What well, about the FA Cup? Because you know, Spurs have got Rochdale in their replay on Wednesday. Um, let's assume they get through that. Then they've got Swansea or Sheffield Wednesday. Yep. You could see it being quite a high-powered last four. City, United, Chelsea, Spurs. Spurs good enough to win the FA Cup? Oh, for sure. And I do think it would 
get a certain money off Pochettino's back about never winning a, a, a trophy, and that can't come soon enough. Because, yeah. look, I know he, he, he's slightly... I got that wrong, by the way. It wasn't City, obviously, aren't in there, are they? Because no, Wigan. no, no, Wigan. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Sorry, Wigan fans. <laughs> no, I, I do feel that, that basically with, with, um, with Tottenham, they just do need to win that trophy. It's been a long time since it's, you know, League Cup in 2008. And, look, I was at a press conference recently with Pochettino, and Pochettino is so... He doesn't want to upset the, the sort of the status quo and he doesn't want to upset Spurs fans. But he's quite clear in what he says that basically the FA Cup is secondary to, to you know, big results in the Champions League. And he based it on the fact that, that sort of when Spurs had come from 2-0 down to draw 2-2 at Juventus, his phone was red hot, even from messages all around the globe saying brilliant result and that put Spurs on the map. Does it put Spurs on the map if they get past Rochdale? I, I understand where he's coming from. But I do feel that the, the, the old question, the old criticism will be, yeah, but what about the silverware? It's so hard for Tottenham and other clubs to win the Premier League title that I don't think anyone should dismiss the FA Cup quite as lightly as they do. And in fact, actually, I think it was you know, Tottenham's mistake that they basically sort of almost surrendered the League Cup. I don't think they should have done that. The FA Cup would be such a big thing for them to win. And I think as the, as the rounds progress, and indeed, if they play in, arguably at home in the semi-final, mm. gives them this magnificent chance. If they face Swansea, and you know, in the replay, for example, and that's the harder of the two potentials, then you'd still fancy Spurs to go and do it, even if he rests a few players. And the fixtures are mounting up, and it's becoming tougher. But I do think it would be such a big thing for Pochettino and for Tottenham to win that first trophy in the Pochettino era. It gives him, you know, a trophy to celebrate gives a very, very clear focal point of success. And it gives, you know, I think the club a, a new momentum again, because this team is really, really good. And if they get the business right again in the summer, then why not? Can't they be title challengers and push City a little bit harder next year? Mm. What about team development? Um, Alderweireld not signing the contract at the moment. You look at Danny Rose and you think he's going to go eventually. Where are Spurs? Can, can, can they afford to lose many players? Depends who they lose, lose them to, um, I think. Uh, that those are, are both very, very good players. I mean, we were, we were saying that Alderweireld was the best centre-half in the, in the division last season, and he's been, had his injury problems this year, but he's still very, very top quality. Um, if, they, if, if Pochettino thinks that by losing one of those players he can strengthen the collective, then great. But if he loses... Alderweire out to uh, Manchester City, um, then he strengthened City and they'll be further away, reality. Mm. Um, and it's the same really with Danny Rose. I mean, if he lost Rose to a direct competitor, say a Manchester United, for example, um, I do think that would be an upgrade for them and therefore it would make life harder for Spurs. Um, it's got to be a point. I know they're treading water until the new stadium and then, and then maybe there's leeway in the wage structure once they're starting to generate more money on a matchday basis. Um, but they have to be very shrewd come the summer as to who they allow to leave and where those players go. Mm. What about Liverpool, John? You know, Dom doesn't, can't see them winning the title. I, I can see them having a good go next season. Mm. You know, the Fab Three up front, fantastic. Mm. Interesting game at the weekend, you know, Rafa going back uh, to Anfield, um, BT Sport game. Do you feel that Liverpool are really coming into you know, huge form at the right time? 
I do. Obviously, they've got their, their, their limitations this season, haven't they, about about what they can do. They can finish second. And, you know, I mean, blimey, teams have been told for years that second is nowhere, haven't they? So you can't, let's, let's not try and reinvent a, a secondary status. But I do think what Liverpool have in front of them is that basically they look so much better now with Van Dijk as, as a team structure. And where Chan is playing well, so he's given the defence. Oh, Slade Chamberlain's doing well. Revelation on Saturday, I thought he was absolutely terrific. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know the, the fluidity up front with Firmino and and you know uh, obviously Mane, uh, Mo Salah is just off the scale, isn't he? I mean they've they've got real options. Even Karius, you know, made a really crucial save in the early on when it was nil nil from Ornatovic. It, it seems to be coming together nicely and. While I think, obviously, the Premier League is out of reach, I do think in the longer term, Klopp is building and they will be title challengers. But you have to say, when they can go and blitz teams, good proven pedigree teams in the Champions League at Porto, they've got got to have a serious chance in in Europe this season. You cannot bet against them, bearing in mind their history as well Mm. and everything that the fans put such faith and store into the Champions League, having won it. And... It, I think it's there for them. I really do. I do think that Liverpool have got huge potential in, in the Champions League this season. I can see an English winner. And the two mostly likely winners in my mind at this moment in time are Liverpool and Man City. Let's look at the other end of the table. You, you were watching Palace yesterday. Um, horrendous injury issues. Have they got enough about them to stay up? If they get the players back. Only if they get the players back. If they don't... If they don't... If they don't, then I think Roy, even Roy Hodgson knows that they're in. That's asking too much. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's utterly ridiculous. And there was a, I mean, it was twelve before Tompkins cramped up, and I think that was just cramp. But it just sums up their luck that the one player, he was playing out of his skin at the back. He was guiding, you know, a debutant in Wambasaka at right back. Um, Fossi Mensah's playing centre half. Doesn't he? Doesn't play centre half very often. Um, he was he was guiding those through, through the, the closing moments of a rearguard action and then James Tompkins cramps up Damien Delaney comes on and you know it's Delaney that's marking Kane at the resultant corner that wins the game for Spurs and it just sums up where Palace are at the moment um, they need they need um, they need to get to the bottom of what's wrong with Mamadou Sacco I don't I think clearly there's an issue there um, I don't think Hodgson's particularly impressed with the fact that, that a, a player whose medical scans don't be sh- they're not showing up any issue with his calf is ruling himself out of games with a calf injury. It's clearly psychological. Um, his wife just had a baby as well in, in France, which, which may have been unsettling. Um, he wanted to be at our side, um, but they need him back. They can't have play, you know, players who sort of promote themselves as the soldier suddenly going AWOL when mm. you know bodies are dropping left, right and centre. They need Zaha back, obviously. I mean, that's, that's the go-to man up front. They need Christian Benteke to just to wake up. I mean, it's just, his season is, is, has just been horrific. And, you know, people always go, oh, but he's got the quality. He's got the... Well, to be honest, at the moment, if they could get a winger back, then Alexander Surlis should be playing through the middle and not Christian Benteke because he's just not, he's, just, he's hiding, as, as they pointed out, I thought, quite, quite well on match of the day over the weekend. Um, it's, he's, he's not in a position at the moment to lead that line. Um, and it's sad to say that, but that, that is the reality of they are. That they're in... They're in Dire straits. Mm. Questions of character there, mm. John. Um, speaking of which, West Brom, um, were you surprised that you know, the guidance coming out of the Hawthorns is that Alan Pardew's got 
yet another game to prove himself against Watford at the weekend. Well, I'll tell you why I'm surprised about it, is that basically it felt to me like Pardew did a press conference last Thursday ahead of the Huddersfield game, in which even Alan Pardew, it seemed to me, was saying, if I, don't, if I lose this game on Saturday against Huddersfield, I'm going to get sacked. He said, I've got, a, you know, Antonio Conte talked about having his bags packed ready. I've got a bag and a half packed. What is that telling you? That is telling you that Pardew is trying to say to his players, this is last chance saloon, boys. If we lose again on Saturday against Huddersfield, I'm going to get the sack. Can I get a response, please? He didn't get a response. So what is there any earth? other surprise when you've got your senior players going out after Curtin? Absolutely not. I mean, the, I don't the, care. The, the worst thing about that is, and you, you know, I mean, nicking a taxi is disgrace. allegedly allegedly nick. You know, the, the driving home in a taxi is 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 you know just unbelievable. But what is almost worse from a professional footballer's point of view is it was five a.m. at a McDonald's drive-through. I mean, it's just, it's just what preparation is that for, for the game? And it's the senior players. It's the message that it sends. It's just so, so embarrassing. It must be so infuriating. And it, I just, you know, you just don't know where it's going to go from here. But what I think that West Brom are doing there is very clever. It is basically they're trying to say, look, it's one more game. You get one more chance. To me, that chance is already gone because they're 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 adrift, aren't they? Basically, they're out of, out of difference. They're running out of games. They've got to win five, at least five, or and maybe couple, pick up a couple of draws. I mean, basically, they've just run out of games, run out of chances. And I don't think I think Pardew is the one manager of all the new appointments that hasn't made a difference, and indeed, it's got worse. One manager who has made a difference and is making a difference is Chris Hutton at Brighton. Yeah. <laughs> By common consent, one of the most popular guys in the game for obvious reasons. Just a really good bloke. Mm. Are we in a stage of the season where it's all going to be dependent on momentum? You know, Brighton have got it now. Southampton haven't, for instance. Well, yeah, but it's also it'll be it'll come down to the, what they do against each other because a lot of them are playing against each other. Mm. Brighton. Brighton have been... It's amazing how many dissenters there are as well. That I mean, I, I, Andy Naylor down at the Brighton Argus is inundated on a match-by-match match basis of, of disgruntled Brighton fans who are unhappy with the way the team's playing. It's like they're four points clear of the relegation zone in their first season back. And I think he even got one person bemoaning the... Maybe these are Palace fans in disguise. I don't know. <laughs> different <laughs> different uh, names on Twitter. But but even on Saturday when they've, they've just walloped Swansea 4-1, um, he's, he's getting people coming on. Uh, what Brighton have done this season has been consistently excellent. They haven't... Hewton has kept feet on the ground and just said, well, we'll get on with our work, we'll continue doing it. We'll have blips. They had a horrible run in the middle of the season where they didn't win a game for a long time. Um, but, you know, when they've needed to, they've just, they've just got the result at the right time and just kept ticking over. They have got difficult games left. But the thing about them is they're actually, when they, when they get a game that's winnable, they're winning it. Or they're not losing it, at least. They're going to Stoke and getting a one-all draw and surviving that last-minute penalty and... You know, they're beating West Ham at home. They're, they're, they're properly hammering a, a resurgent Swansea team at home. And that'll be what keeps them up. Um, the structure is, is there. It's, it's, all, it's all geared towards, towards progression at the club um, that they spent in January as well. They, they addressed an area of the team that needed addressing. Um, Acardi has done well. Azure will do well. Uh, and they will 
at the moment you look at them and think they they will have enough about them to survive. Um, but it will boil down to how they do against the other teams. They've, I mean, they've got they've got to play other teams down there, um, and they have got some awkward games against the elite as well. Okay, couple of questions from the the listeners and the viewers. One from uh, Steve Dines: uh, Does the PFA actually do a good job despite the Taylor pay revelations? If not, is there appetite for a competitor organisation? Well, I, I'll, I'll be au contraire about this because basically I know that. Obviously, the, the Gordon Taylor um, wages. You know, probably, let's, let's, let's be honest; they're ludicrous. Two well, point three million pounds. Yeah, look, what I know. What do? Yeah, no, what? Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just that Mike. He is he is chief executive of of one of the most successful and prominent unions in the country, and it's like I just get slightly narked, and this is the socialist and, and the proud union member in me speaking, slightly narked of keeping the little man down. But anyway... It's got he, nothing to do with that. He it, still earns they get a fraction. They he get still £26 million pounds from yeah. the Premier League. What do they do with it? But he still earns a fraction of, of some of the, the members that he represents. Look, if, it, if it was down to me... Considerably more than majority, though. Yeah, I know. Considerably more than majority. Yeah, I know. And listen, you know, there's there's people there that are sort of have huge respect within the game, like Bobby Barnes or someone mm. like that, who obviously earns far, far less and does a brilliant, brilliant job. And then Gordon Taylor, then, you know, look, I'm not fundamentally disagreeing with, with the point that he probably earns too much money, but I just slightly take exception to this ridiculous ridicule of it. And it, it would be easier to justify if it came from the players' subs, and it doesn't, yeah. and it comes from the TV money. And I, I understand that. It's unearned. Yeah, unearned. I agree. What do you, what do you think? But, but I do feel that they do, they do a really good job. And the fact that sort of you, you've had people sort of saying, oh, kind of like, you know, Simon Jordan was on, on, on the radio, wasn't he sort of saying, basically calling out Gordon Taylor when he said, oh, you, you were called in to do a player dispute uh, at Crystal Palace and your first port of call was to try and get us to settle up. Well, for me, that's a good union leader. That's what I'd want from a union leader. That's the strongest possible terms set out for the player that's looking after the player. So it's a ridiculous argument. It's a one-eyed one argument, that is. But basically, of course, you know, that, that's what you're going to expect to get. But on, on the flip side, yes, he does earn too much, but I think that the union itself, the PFA, does a brilliant, brilliant job. OK, another nice, quiet question here from Alan Dibble. Leicester were fined only three million pounds for cheating financial fair play to get promoted to the Premier League. A joke, surely. <laughs> um, well, it's three million pounds when you've been in the Premier League and indeed won the Premier League. I've, well, this is the fifth season back up, fourth season, fourth season back up. Um, yeah, that's, that is a paltry amount. That's you know, one match fee or whatever, it's, it's, that is pathetic and that, that is damning. But if they hadn't been promoted, in the same way that QPR, QPR would struggle to pay a £3 million bill at the moment. Um, I think that that's an ongoing legal process, yeah. isn't it, with QPR yeah. at the moment? I, I, I just don't see how those... <laughs> I think the intention behind the Football League financial fair play rules is brilliant. If it's designed to stop a Portsmouth happening you know, a club overspending, overstretching. But the reality is um, that if you have an ambitious owner with lots of money who takes over a, ch a championship club, a League One club, 
they're going to spend the money, whatever, and they're just, they're just going to do it, and it will warp it, and it means that basically the rules are unenforceable. Mm. Um, I mean, three million, as I say, three million pounds looks like a joke now, four years on of life in the Premier League with the money that they're earning, and they're probably in the top mm. 10, 15 clubs in, in the world in terms of mm. revenues. Um, but, that, you know, that is, that is unenforceable. You can't okay. end We'll end it where we began, if we could. Pep. What's your take on the Yellow Ribbon uh, episode with the FA? To me, it seems to be a denial of someone's right of self-expression. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree with you. I do think it's an own goal from, from the FA's point of view. It's a really difficult one in that, basically, we wouldn't like it if a, if a manager was on the, on the sort of the touchline and, you know, calling for referendums on this or, or, or Brexit or, or whatever it might be. But I do think if you look a little bit more deeper at, at the protest, it is something that's so uh, sort of um, so deep, deep, deep within him, so so close to his heart. And you are talking about, you know, potentially the, the unfair sort of jail, you know, jail terms for or being kept in prison of the, of the pro-independence Catalan um, politicians here. And I, I personally think that uh, I think the, the FA have chosen the wrong target here, bearing in mind that a couple of months ago we had so much fuss and so much, uh, and I'm someone who's passionate about poppies, and I love the poppy appeal, but the FA fought a very, very strong battle about being, having the right to wear poppies, and, and it was won. And indeed, it actually persuaded UEFA to slightly tweak the rule. And the, the UEFA rule has been tweaked so much so that I don't think that what Guardiola does by wearing the yellow ribbon contravenes UEFA guidelines, but it certainly is upsetting the FA. But I think the FA have chosen the wrong battle. It's an own goal. Pep put it perfectly. Before being a manager, I'm a human being. The FA should get its own house in order. Pep's politics are none of its business. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. 